humans, earthlings, friends, welcome or welcome back to Mind Medicine. I'm Tommy Moore, host of this podcast, and it's my job to inspect and dissect some of the leading psychologists, psychiatrists, neuroscientists, and leaders in psychedelic-assisted therapies from around the world to shine a light on breakthrough therapies for mental illness. Awareness, education, and better therapeutic solutions are urgently required if we are to have any chance of alleviating the suffering of individuals and the burden of mental health on society. Mind Medicine Australia is a registered charity committed to helping alleviate the suffering caused by mental illness in Australia through expanding the treatment options available to medical practitioners and their patients. Mind Medicine Australia is providing educational material and events, therapist training, ethical and legal guidelines, and also developing an Asia-Pacific Centre for Emerging Mental Health Therapies and supporting clinical research. At Mind Medicine Australia, we believe that everyone should have access to the safest and most effective care. We're a small organisation doing big things, and we need your support. All right, let's do this. Dr. Alana Roy is a psychologist, mental health social worker, counsellor, advocate, researcher, mindfulness meditation teacher and therapist, and has spent the last 13 years working in a broad range of settings including suicide prevention, trauma, sexual abuse and family violence, and also the disability sector. She also has a diploma of Auslan Sign Language, and more recently... Alana has dedicated much of her time to psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy and plant medicines, providing integration therapeutic support services for communities across Australia, and is now the National Practice Manager for Psychological Services for Mind Medicine Australia. She works at several universities as a research fellow and supervisor for students and passionately advocates for public policy, community education and legislative changes so that these treatments are regulated and supported by a strong, connected and skilled sector. Alana utilizes and offers a wide range of therapies in her practice, including emotion-focused therapy, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, EMDR, cognitive behavioral therapy, neuro-linguistic programming, acceptance and commitment therapy, and mindfulness and meditation approaches. Alana and I discuss current and future therapies and treatment options for mental health, the potential complementary effects of mindfulness meditation and psilocybin, some traditional rituals and practices for altering consciousness, the categorization of drugs in modern society, We also speak about the default mode network, a brain network related to self-referential processing that seems to be an important hub in mental illness and much, much more. So without further delay, please welcome Dr. Alana Roy. Alana, thanks for joining me. Thanks for inviting me. It's great to be here. So I guess we can start this conversation by sharing your background, qualifications, and what actually led you to work in the field of, of psychedelic therapy? It's been an incredible journey. Um, I started off as a mental health social worker and then got my psychology and my PhD. And my background over the last 15 years has been in, in disabilities. I'm really passionate about working in that sector and suicide prevention and sexual abuse and family violence. I've also worked with across the lifespan, so children, youth and and adults and families. And I guess underpinning all of this work is is trauma and grief and loss, which is, you know, an experience that we all go through at some point in our life. And I 
from from my experience, it's just really poorly addressed and treated and responded to in mainstream mental health sector. So over the last uh, probably five years, I went through really big personal and professional transformation where I was doing a lot of uh, sexual abuse therapy and really struggling with the inadequate treatments and, and therapies that were available. And I personally went overseas to some legal centers and participated in psychedelic medicines and experienced firsthand the the depths and the enormous benefits of these medicines when they're provided in a safe setting which you know when I came back to Australia I had no integration support there was really not not enough services that could uh, you know support me with that growth and and development in a personal and professional sense and I was lucky enough to be connected to mind medicine and you know really deeply humbled to be in this role of being the national practice manager of psychological support services and yeah our goal is to bring these services and supports to Australia to address the the huge need in the mental health sector. Yeah wonderful and is it possible for you to share your experience with psychedelics what have you gained from that or what insights did you acquire from that that actually led you to push psychedelic therapy into the legal matters and potential future practices? I think for me personally, um, being a very, you know, rational person who's, you know, deeply engaged with science, I've reached a point in my in my personal journey, but also working with people with complex trauma and sexual abuse that the tools that we had, the therapies and, and means of supporting you know myself and also my clients it was just it was lacking such depth it wasn't able to hold the um the i guess the pain and suffering that we experience as, as being a human being and from from my experience psychedelics really gives the person the ability to delve deep into their own resources their own inner wisdom their own spiritual beliefs and philosophies in a way that traditional therapies and medication just can't provide so it was from having those personal experiences and seeing hundreds of people's lives transformed through these medicines in a way that I just hadn't seen with traditional psychotherapies and medications that's really made me an advocate for, for yeah, for, for my medicine and the, the wider psychedelic community. Yeah, absolutely. And the trend in mental health conditions, especially over the past few decades and particularly even more recently is rising and it continues to rise and as it seems our mental health care system is badly broken if you compare mental health to any other healthcare system it fails abysmally and it's quite sad and disappointing to see how bad of a track record it has with all the use of pharmaceuticals like antidepressants antiolytics SSRIs and other pharmaceutical medicines yet Rates of mental illness are rising, rates of suicide are rampant, rates of addiction are increasing and we haven't really seen any innovation in mental illness for many decades. I guess you could suggest that antidepressants in the 1990s were a step but given their limited effectiveness in that they work slightly better than placebos and that their effect appears to fade over time, we are certainly desperate in a new way to treat mental illness. And, I mean, the modern world is meant to be designed for humans, but we seem to be more disconnected than ever. 
Is this core feeling of disconnection a breeding ground for mental illness? Are we living in a world that is maybe not so well designed for humans? Yeah, it's a really big question. I guess we, you know, we do live in a very fast-paced society, in particularly in a capitalist society that is fueled by competition and individualistic culture. And you know, it's really rare for people to have the time and space for family, for culture, for community, for spiritual connection. And you know, even more so due to COVID and all the restrictions that everyone's been facing. And this is, this is why I love the potential of psychedelics because you know, the research does suggest that when people do uh, participate in psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy, they can feel more connected to themselves to nature, to the world around them, and to their families. And, you know, this data is just not replicated in um, antidepressants, for example. Yeah, absolutely. And researchers also found that psilocybin shifts emotional biases, which is hugely important in the treatment of depression. And when patients have what is called negative biases, their internal thinking gets stuck in ruminating loops of negative thoughts. And... I'm led to believe that most mental illnesses have a similar neural cascading effect in that each illness is a certain type of ruminating loops of negative thoughts. And I'm really interested in the work that you're doing within mindfulness and meditation and the potential complementary effect of, of mindfulness and psychedelics. There are a lot of different ways to meditate. And when we say meditation, this is not necessarily an Eastern thing or a Buddhist thing. This is paying attention to the nature of who you are. The fundamentals of being human are the same, no matter which continent or country or religion that you're from. The entire species is made the same way. And the word meditation in English could mean anything for someone. I mean, for some it's fashion and for some it's an endeavour. What do you believe the role of meditation and psychedelics has for society and for mental health? Mm. Well, they're very complementary. So, for example... In, at My Medicine Australia, I, I run the integration support services. So we, we support people to develop their own practices for self-care and inner discovery. And that is either through their use of psychedelics in legal treatment centres or different contexts, or through meditation such as daily rituals, which you know connecting with earth, connecting with their local environments and habitats, their animals, breath work, shamanic drumming, different types of even podcasts and music that can help them tap into different alternate states of consciousness. So there is, you know, a, a diverse range of modalities that people can access during, a, during their state of um, anxiety or depression or trauma that can help them to delve deeper into themselves. And ultimately, psychedelics is all about that, creating the container for the person to go inwards so that they can, you know, overcome the challenges that they're going through. Yeah, absolutely. And what are some of the different types of techniques within mindfulness and meditation that perhaps you incorporate into your practice? So firstly, I'll talk about some of the therapies that I do that are really complementary to psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy or providing integration support for people. Um, The first one is EMDR which is eye movement, desensitisation and reprocessing. So people are able to go through a whole whole journey in that session where they are able to look at their trauma, bring it to mind, really consciously experience it, 
while they're supported to notice their breath, their body, sensations, triggers as they unfold throughout the session. And we also in that look at their, their negative beliefs that are underpinning the trauma or the, the conditioning that they may have had and positive, positive thinking, something that they want to call into this new state, new way of being once they've processed their trauma. So I found EMDR to be really effective for people who are wanting to process trauma but also challenging psychedelic experiences. They're able to bring that content to mind and work with those subtle levels within the body as well as their, their thinking. Another therapy that I do is emotion focus therapy. And again, the client typically you know, sits in the room for about an hour with, with their eyes closed and we, we journey inwards and we explore you know, the rich terrain that's in there. So it might be symbolic experiences, episodic memories, psychedelic images and content whilst working, working through their body and all the sensations that they're experiencing. And the overall goal, I guess, of, of my therapies and particularly psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy is helping that client to develop their own inner wisdom, their own inner healing, so that they're not needing to rely on a therapist or an antidepressant. They're able to access their own, I guess, toolkit and their own skills and have the container within their body to be able to delve deep and you know, work with the, with the content as it unfolds. Yeah, absolutely. And I believe that psychedelics, they don't seem to work like most other drugs in that they're more, well, I guess the definition of psychedelics is mind revealing. So they give the opportunity to the patient that they can actually look inside and, and see things more clearly. I'm sure that really has a complementary effect with meditation down the track and incorporating that into your daily life. Um, and coming back to psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy and talking about mystical-type experiences, the phenomenon of mystical experiences is generally associated with religious or spiritual traditions, and I feel that spiritual health is very often neglected, and part of the reason it falls under the umbrella terms religion or spirituality and that you must label yourself as religious or spiritual to be engaged in spiritual practices. Mm. But as long as humans have inhabited this planet, there have been compounds found in nature that trigger or facilitate extraordinary encounters. We have this symbiotic relationship with nature and that we're not just spectators but active participants with nature. The usual way of thinking about nature is that of a very passive relationship but I'm certainly someone who's been curious about how we humans interact with plants or how we use plants or fungi and how in turn they use us. What I find interesting is that we use plants to change our experience of consciousness and a very select group of plants and fungi have developed the chemistry that does this with varying degrees of disruption. I'm quite intrigued by the human desire to change consciousness. Is there a common denominator across drugs and inducing agents that that we call an altered state of consciousness yeah so i i agree you know throughout history throughout the dawn of time human beings have always sought out altered states of consciousness whether that is through psychedelics plants through other substances through dance through trance states through meditation even children in the, in a park you know they're attracted to 
playing on equipment that spins them around until they fall over and they lose their balance. You know, I think it's really interesting when you look through the developmental stages of life that we often seek out altered states of consciousness, even, even through coffee, even through, you know, watching hours and hours of TV and going into a, an altered state in that context. You know, and psychedelics are just one of the most powerful ways to alter your consciousness and we're now seeing that this is ultimately having significant positive impacts on the brain when it's done safely. The human, human brain is almost wired, hardwired to have these psychedelic experiences and this is what's so exciting about this field is that we're finding out the benefits to the mind, body and the spirit for, for going there, going deep into altered states. Yeah, absolutely. And I think part of the reason why I'm doing this work as well is that I think the way that we categorise drugs is very strange, I feel. And we have this group of legal drugs and this group of illegal drugs. And then, you know, it's just kind of one way or the other. Of course, there are legalities that are important. But I think how we categorise drugs is quite important like you know we could go for a run that's also a drug that changes your biochemistry you could do some breath work you could do some meditation these are all changing our perception or, or our consciousness in in many ways what do you think is most misunderstood about psilocybin or mdma i i think there's a lot of stigma with mdma and psilocybin which is really a result of the 50s and 60s during the anti- war protests and the you know huge amounts of people who participated in psychedelic use during that time and were you know labeled as a counterculture to the establishment and that left a huge legacy of stigma that you know anyone doing these medicines will you know you tune in drop out and never return to society and you know that's it's stigma because i know so many people who are you know lawyers police surgeons, doctors, teachers, mothers, grandmothers who have utilised psychedelics for either spiritual growth or for their own mental health and they are you know, fully active moral citizens and I think there's a huge, um, we've, got, we've got it backwards given how damaging alcohol can potentially be and cigarettes and, and other substances yet they're legal and these, these substances, particularly psilocybin that's, that's naturally occurring and when taken in a, in, a, in a safe context, is non-toxic and non-addictive. You know, I feel like we've got the narrative backwards. Yeah, I yeah. 100% agree. It seems to be that this Western culture is the only culture to have not actively participates in psychedelic rituals or traditions, which is quite remarkable. You can look at all the traditions dating back to millennia, and they all have these spiritual type practices that use psychedelics from various plants and fungi. I think there's only one culture, uh, the Inuits, and they didn't use it because it didn't grow there. So it's actually, it's really fascinating how much the culture evolved using these substances. And many believe that the use of psychedelics brought about religion and spirituality, connecting to something that is not an ordinary state of consciousness. I'm quite interested in the default mode network. We've spoken about meditation and the use of psychedelics as a possible complementary effect. Can you 
possibly explain what the default mode network is and how it relates to both meditation and psychedelics? Well, what, what they've found is that when, when people are in an altered state of consciousness such as a psilocybin session, the default mode network shuts down and the centres of the brain light up and connect in a way that they, they can't actually do without that psychedelic substance. And in the default mode network, we have uh, our personality structures, our ego, our capacity for rumination and deep entrenched patterns of thinking and when that is shut down and for many people they may experience an ego death this actually is experienced subjectively reported as a, um, a dissolving and a, a reboot of the mind and the psyche and this is this is what depression needs although antidepressants can be helpful of course they're typically just a band-aid well, what we're seeing within the results of psilocybin is that if you can target the default mode network, it is, it's like a reboot and a reset and the brain is able to breathe, new connections are able to form and communicate and people get a deep sense of release from their suffering in, in that moment. And it all seems to come back, like you said, to this self or the ego or the, the conversation that we're telling ourselves every day, the, the constant narrative deeper older structures that are linked with memory and emotions seem to be a really important hub in regulating metacognitive functions like self-regulation, theory of mind, mental imagery and what is called the autobiographical self. And the default mode network is the seat of the self or the ego to the extent that we can say that. Mm -hmm. And other regions of the brain of this particular network goes offline or at least diminished during meditation and a psilocybin experience indeed after administration when that goes offline other networks of the brain that don't usually talk to each other strike up conversation suddenly you get lots of little roads and myriad new connections get established in this sense of synesthesia that many participants report that you can see things that you're feeling the ego dissolution is often reported and this gives us a window into the self Ego dissolution seems to be a rehearsal for death, giving up yourself, but you still perceive. There's still consciousness. And can these new connections manifest as new perspectives or new ideas? Absolutely. You know, I've got so many, uh, my own experiences, but also client experiences where this has happened. You know, f for example, I was working with someone who had an acquired brain injury and had spent a lot of time in recovery, significant injury in the brain, she had been brave enough to participate in ayahuasca. You know, and there's no research around this. I can only go by her subjective experience. But during, during her experience, she was able to get outside of her, her acquired brain injury. She was able to experience herself and her consciousness without being confined to her, her disability. And so when she returned post-ceremony, she was able to integrate that into her day-to-day -day life, that she is more than her brain injury, that this is not potentially a permanent state that she's trapped in and that she can experience expansive states of consciousness beyond her brain injury. Yeah, it's remarkable. You hear so many stories about positive outcomes that come from ayahuasca and other psychedelic ceremonies. Are there any other modalities of reducing activity in the default mode network? Well, of course, meditation. 
meditation is a very, very powerful tool. And what we're finding is that, you know, anecdotally and subjectively, people who utilize psychedelics are also more inclined to develop meditation practices. And whether that is sitting in nature and just noticing the sounds, the smells, you know, what you can feel, touch, all those sensations around you, you know, developing that deeper connection with with nature and they also you know breath work holotropic breath work people can go into expansive states there and, and the de default mode network can be can be targeted due to the intense breath work and and the ego death that can be experienced in those states as well and of course the shamanic drumming and and certain types of of um, trance states where people do drop into very deep altered states of consciousness. Now, in terms of psychedelic assisted psychotherapy, what does this involve? We, um, we've mentioned set and setting, but also integration. How important are these three pillars in facilitating paradigm shifting mental patterns? Well, well they're, they're everything. You know, I, I like to say set, setting and skill, and I'll, I'll explain them. So obviously there's the set, this, you know, the psychological, emotional content that the, that the person brings to their ceremony. You know, what are, they, what, what are they going to work on? How are they prepared and feeling on the day? Are they, you know, are they, are they ready? Have they given it enough consideration? And do they have the right, um, I guess, clinical criteria to be part of that, that psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy session? And then the set, of course, is the setting, the, the actual the nuances in the environment, the music, the rituals, if, if that's what the client wants, the, the safety that's provided by the facilitators and, and everything else that goes to providing that container for that client to, to journey deep. And of course integration is what follows afterwards and it's an ongoing journey. How people can be supported to bring back something from their psychedelic journey. You know, there's a lot that you can't bring back because it is inevitable or it is beyond what we can explain with, with our language, beyond space and time. However, you can still bring back insights and lessons and downloads that then can be translated into, you know, how to be a better, better mother, how to be more creative, how to look after your body or deepen your meditation practices. So integration is, is just as important as set and setting. And another one I like to talk about is, is skill and as people continue on the, the medicine path, how can they develop their own skills, whether it's intuition, their own breath work when they're in a really challenging psychedelic space, their ability to be still in their body, you know, and that can come with yoga practices or specific exercises. There's a whole range of skills and techniques that people can master so that when they are in a challenging psychedelic space they're able to navigate that and also when they are facing challenges during integration that they've got skills and resources to draw upon to to help them in that process yeah absolutely i'm certainly cautious about i guess promoting psilocybin as a medicine because obviously with what happened with the 1960s that it escaped the lab and you know, so many people from teenagers to people in their 20s were using it without knowing what they're going in for. And I think it's incredibly important that we're providing this education and understanding that this is 
not a normal drug. This is something that's much, much different. And it's, yeah, it's a, it's a spiritual kind of experience. And like you were saying, it can often be hard to describe such an experience. And language is often very reductionist in that sense where you try and explain your experience to someone. But I think that's why integration is, is so important that, well, what did you get from that experience and how are you going to incorporate that into your life and, and move forward? What is the current available evidence surrounding the effectiveness of psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy? Yeah, well, the, you know, the results coming out of MAPS are incredible and that's why we're in phase three trials and they've been deemed a breakthrough therapeutic status, which, which actually means that they've been found, in, particularly for PTSD and MDMA, have been found to be more effective than the current antidepressant treatments. So, you know, it's really exciting times in the psychedelic space regarding the effectiveness. People are showing up to, you know, 70% and more effectiveness after a year if they've had two or three dose sessions with with supportive integration and that's incredible I mean if we had a treatment for cancer that had that effectiveness there would be you know there would be no out out or outcry or people trying to stop it like they are with psychedelics Um, you know so it it is a a real challenge at the moment because these treatments are showing to be effective yet we're still fighting against outdated views and stigma and policy that's not keeping up with human rights within the mental health space yeah definitely and of course when it is only two or three sessions or medicinal doses of psilocybin or mdma it's not a very good business model which is probably why big pharma companies aren't jumping on board or trying to advocate this at all because people are actually getting healed and big pharmaceutical companies are are profiting off people remaining ill that's not to say that they don't want to get them better but certainly you're told that you have this chemical imbalance in your brain and that you know here's your antidepressant for the rest of your life it's so different to that of traditional medicine which is probably why big companies aren't getting on board and why funding is really hard to come by but how can public or people listening to this get involved in community education and help shift public policy? Mm. Well, I mean, there's one thing I want to mention is that I agree with you when you said that psychedelic medicines, they need to be taken seriously and, you know, safely because they are like no other medicine on the planet. They are one of the deepest, deepest forms of altering your consciousness. And with that comes a lot of reverence and respect and we need to make sure these medicines are taken safely and are with people who have integrity but we also are being too overcautious about the risk given the risk that antidepressants have for people you know increased suicide thinking agitation nausea weight gain you know multiple multiple antidepressants across a lifetime and also the, the inherent risks we have by withholding these treatments, psychedelic assisted psychotherapy, from people who are suffering. The risk of suicide you know, in Australia is, is one of the biggest killers. So we need to balance. We need to balance our need to make sure these medicines are safe, but stop being too cautious because there is so much suffering happening, so much mental illness, and we know that when these medicines are taken in a clinically safe context, that they're non-toxic and they're non-addictive. And we know that now, so we should not be holding back. Yeah, definitely. Given that 
psilocybin is being trialled for addiction, a lot of people may be raising their hands and say, well, why are you using a drug to treat drug addiction? Like we were saying, it's nothing like any other drugs that there are. These are compounds that are, that are found in nature and really provide moral and ethical framework going forward. What accessibility issues do you think we need to anticipate for particular groups who may benefit a lot from these medicines? Well, Mind Medicine's focus is, of course, we're a not-for-profit and wholly clinical, and our goal is to make these medicines as affordable and available to, to those in need. And as, as this rolls out across the country, we will be working hard to making sure we you know, can get these medicines, whether it's through um, different schemes, different types of university programs that make the guiding more affordable and accessible, we will be you know, exhausting all possibilities to, to try and make sure these medicines are affordable and accessible because that's, that's our goal and that's where our heart is. Yeah, wonderful. And do we know anything about the Aboriginal Australian history and relationship with psychedelics? Or in what way does psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy draw on Indigenous cultural practices and traditions in its approach and delivery? Mm. Well, I, you know, I'm definitely not an expert on that, and you know, I've, I've worked with a lot of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people from a trauma perspective, and there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of mystery around the use of psychedelics and plant medicines with 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 elders and, and traditional people, and you know, I would love, you know, to connect with them. Me and Renee, who's designing the certificate in psychedelic therapies, it's a major goal of ours to to reach out and connect with these elders and these leaders and see what would work for them. And ultimately, I feel that the psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy model could absolutely be integrated into Indigenous cultures, but you know they would need to have the ownership and leadership in that space. But the, the complementary nature of these medicines with their, their dream, dream time space, their connection with the land, their you know, many, many rituals and altered states of consciousness that they go into, even their connection with totems and animals and, and spirit guides, which I think is, you know, beautifully complements the psychedelic space. But ultimately, yeah, I'm not able to comment on, um, on I guess, their, their stance on psychedelic, on psychedelics. I'd love to hear more from them. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, that's totally fair. And... There are a number of potential positions from which people seem to be engaging in this field. Philanthropy, investors, researchers, scientists, participants, clinicians, therapists, educators, even podcasters. Are there some areas or roles that you anticipate that we need to see more people getting involved in than others? The beautiful thing about psychedelics, it's a field like no other because it covers psychology, anthropology, sociology, science spirituality philosophy it's from what i can see it is it is an area of research and exploration that actually touches and unites all of our disciplines all of our experiences in humanity i personally love to see this evolving in the in the religious space and that's why it's been incredible to have the support of uh, some of the muslim community the jewish community and even the catholic um, priests um, on our advisory board. So seeing how traditional religious 
structures are actually embracing psychedelics and breaking down that stigma that you can't have both. You can have your traditional religions merging with, with, um, with psychedelic science and medicines. I would also love to see the universities all around Australia really get on board with psychedelic science and not miss out on the opportunities, not fall behind in the times because Australia is at the moment when we compare ourselves to other countries and other universities. The conservative nature of Australia is really preventing progress and um, dynamic interventions from being you know, created for our Australians who are suffering. If someone is struggling with mental illness, what can they do or how can they go about finding more about some of the services that Mind Medicine offers? Well, I'm very excited to, to be the, the National Practice Manager of Mind Medicine Australia's Psychological Support Services and we are also broadening to include integrative health practitioners. So what that means is we have a team and we have GPs, psychologists, psychotherapists, we're also connecting in with psychiatrists and alternative uh, therapists such as trauma-informed yoga, trauma-informed massage, clinical hypnotherapy, etc. We're building a network of practitioners around Australia who have either the lived experience of these medicines or have you know, a deep uh, interest and specialty in alternative states of consciousness as well as their modality that they're trained in. And so clients can make contact with us at Mind Medicine Australia and we can support them at the various stages throughout the journey. Given that this is illegal in Australia at the moment, you know, we don't um, encourage recreational use. Our focus is wholly clinical. However, the service that I that I run does support people who are in a recreational space, you know, keep trying to keep them safe, as connected as possible, educated and you know, provided really high quality integration services because that's just something I personally didn't have when I went overseas and came back to Australia. The uh, current services in Australia just weren't able to meet me at that level and that's why we have designed this service so that we can you know, really support people on their journey before, during and after. We also, Tommy, have a range of other services such as Zoom study groups. If anyone's interested in learning about psychedelic science, we get together and read articles. We also have Zoom integration groups to connect people around Australia so they're not isolated and they can integrate back into community and really make uh, meaning out of their psychedelic experiences because you know there's there's really no point journeying that far and wide and deep if you're not able to come back and make you know tangible practical changes in in your daily life we also have a range of ways to access our service so through bulk billing through medicare rebates private health and also ndis which is really exciting we've had clients who've got disabilities who have engaged in the use of medicine to support their mental health and have then used their NDIS funds to support their integration, which is, I think, a first in Australia, which is really exciting. We also have heaps of opportunities to get involved, so webinars, um, chapters, volunteering. You know, we have lots of people contacting us and we're really keen to bring everyone in and see what skills you have to be part of our organisation and develop you further. And, um, yeah, lots of other services that are unfolding, which stay tuned and we'll keep you up to date. Perfect. And also there's a special access scheme. Could you explain how that works? So currently the um, TGA has taken submissions from all around Australia 
on psilocybin and MDMA. So Mind Medicine Australia put in really comprehensive uh, submission to the government to review the current laws where these medicines are in Schedule 9 and which is deemed no therapeutic benefit, being moved to, to Schedule A, which would make them regulated and used for therapeutic settings. So we're currently in a, a process of advocacy and looking at potential law reform. And it varies state by state depending on you know, additional laws. So the, the best thing that, that clients can do is if they have a diagnosis of major depression or PTSD and they have had tried multiple treatments and they haven't worked. So they have to have proof of a history of this diagnosis and multiple treatments and they can apply through the special access benefits scheme. They will need a psychiatrist to support their application and documentation to ensure that they're safe and they meet the clinical criteria. For example, no history of psychosis or you know, mania or bipolar, no family history. And if they do meet those clinical criteria, then it's possible that they could be granted access under this scheme. However, it's an evolving space and we're in a big historical stage of consultation. And we encourage clients to make contact with us and their psychiatrist to see if they're eligible to, to begin this process. And if it were to come down to a Schedule 8 from Schedule 9, what would that mean for research and psychiatry across Australia or the states that are in that reform? Because we're in a big stage of consultation, I, I guess what I can say is that the goal is to do similar to what's happened with MAPS. And it's we have, we have the Phase 3 trials rolling out and they've been granted breakthrough therapeutic status what it means is that they can be used safely in clinical settings attached to a, a protocol, an MDMA protocol and a psilocybin protocol. And the goal would be that the people in Australia that meet that diagnostic criteria are granted access you know, around Australia to these medicines. But there is the potential for there to be variations state by state and some states are changing quicker than others. But the goal is given that these medicines have been proven to be safe non-toxic and non-addictive by the trials happening around the world that we are able to replicate and also once they are rolled out across Australia for major depression and PTSD that we can begin novel trials and expand the research into other areas such as you know anorexia, dementia, um, you know, smoking, addiction, uh, OCDs, eating disorders. There's a whole range of other clinical areas that you know, we hope that researchers from all around Australia take up like they have around the world. Just to close this one out, what advice would you give to any students in these fields coming through with an interest or passion in, in psychedelic medicine? I would really encourage them to get as much experience as you can with trauma and grief and loss because ultimately I think that they are shared experiences that underpin most of us. And when people go into a psychedelic space, you know, the content can be, you know, it can be very heavy. And to be able to work in the psychedelic space, you really need a depth. You need your own dark night of the soul. You need to have looked deeply within and to be open to the diverse range of versions of reality and experience that are out there. So I encourage 
students to you know read widely travel and experience multiple cultures and people challenge their biases and their, their conditioning really examine why do I believe that and who's told me that and who who is that actually benefiting and you know get as much skills as you can you know, in the clinical space therapeutic space and in the spiritual and, and philosophical space because even if you are an atheist if you want to work in this domain you you need to be able to connect and and dive deep into all these uh, terrains perfectly put yeah it, it's certainly something the whole idea of god seems to be you know confused throughout the different religions but i find that with psychedelics it almost in a way kind of explains what the spiritual realm is all about and despite all the differences between a lot of religions i find that there's actually just as many similarities and i think psychedelics may even work to bond different religions from around the world and realize that whilst they describe their beliefs as different i think a lot of the time it is is very very similar but alana thank you very much for your time I am very grateful to talk to you today and I'm very excited to see what the future holds for, for Mind Medicine. Thank you very much. And I just wanted to finish on one note. There's a beautiful quote from Terence McKenna, which I really love. And I think the governments and the mental health system and practitioners and all of us can really draw a bit of uh, courage and inspiration from is opening up to the possibility that everything you know is wrong. And I think there's a lot wrong in the Australian mental health system and we need to have the courage to really take these medicines and interventions um, to our community and bring forth you know huge healing and potential change for mental illness in Australia. Wonderful thank you very much for your time Alana. Thank you. Well there you have it friends if you enjoyed this episode and want to support our endeavours the best thing that you can do is leave a review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts this will help expose this information to the people who are seeking it. If you're curious to learn more about psychedelic-assisted therapies and related information, or would like to know a little bit more about the services, events, and programs that Mind Medicine Australia offers, please head to mindmedicineaustralia.org and you'll find all the information you need right there. And finally, the information in this episode is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for the advice provided by a doctor or other qualified healthcare professional. Patients should not use the information contained for diagnosing a health problem or disease. Patients should consult with a doctor or other qualified healthcare professional for medical advice or information about diagnosis and treatment. All right, we did it. Next week, I sit down with Renee Harvey, the manager for Psychedelic Therapy Development Program, to chat about the Psychedelic Assisted Therapy Program. So make sure you tune into that one. Until then, keep well. Invest in yourself. You got this.